You go through life, you invest in dozens or hundreds of stocks, but it's only a handful, a single digit handful that actually really create wealth augmenting kind of return. Elon Musk was up to his usual tricks. I mean, what was the bigger story in 2023 from Elon Musk? The fact that SpaceX was such a huge success and there was rumors of an IPO, or is it X's decline in value and advertiser interest? 2022 was the seventh worst year on record for the S&P 500 in the last 100 years, and it was the worst ever for a 60-40 portfolio because the bonds crashed so heavily. It was actually the worst year ever. I was kind of looking ahead to 2024 does it follow the same pattern? And it doesn't really. Amazon is cutting jobs. But Duolingo more than tripled its market cap in 2023. The first company I looked at was Copart. If you're lucky enough to own this business in the last 10 years, you've been doing very well. I think you'd be sitting on a 10-bagger already. It's the first stock I picked from my Wall Street. And it's still been performing. Even in the last five years, I think it's tripled. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me in today's episode is My Wall Street's chief investor, Emmett Sevich. This podcast is brought to you by Vodafone Business. Now, if you're like us here in My Wall Street, you'll know that running a business is hard. There are countless things to think about, some get ignored, and some get completely forgotten about. That's where Vodafone Business can help. They've crafted a suite of tools and supports to boost your business's operations, and the best part is it's free for everyone. From cybersecurity to harnessing the power of AI, Building a website and improving how your teams operate remotely, Vodafone Business will help you address the often overlooked but crucial elements for your business's success. To get started today, check out their Vodafone VHub digital support and advice service. You'll find everything you need right there. Find the link in our show notes or tr- just simply Google Vodafone VHub for more details. Now, let's dive into the show. Emmett, how are you doing? We are back after a long enough break for me and you anyways off the pod. Uh, well rested, I hope, and ready to get back into the new year. Ready to go, Mike. Big and bold and ready to take on the year. Very excited about 2024. Yeah, it'd be an interesting one. I said we'd start this episode with kind of looking back on 2023 a small bit because, you know, at first glance, it was it was a huge year. The S&P was up nearly 25%. The Nasdaq was up more than 50%. Uh, it was its best year since 1999, which is a bit ominous, I think. Um, but you could feel like you missed what was an unbelievable year on the market if you didn't own maybe seven stocks, uh, which yeah. were responsible for a significant amount of the gain. So what, what did you think of 2023 as a whole? Yeah, it was a year with a lot of change in it and a lot of, well, every year brings super normal events. It really does like, because, you know, that's just the way it goes. But like, as you said, the S&P 500, which is our preferred benchmark, grew nearly 20, 24.5%. But when you strip out the Magnificent Seven, which is Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, Meta, and Tesla, who collectively gained over 60% in the year. The other 497 stocks only grew 8.2%. So that was quite an unusual event. I wouldn't call it super normal. Those type of events have happened in the past where the S&P or an index's performance has been driven by just a few key performers. And that's what we see in our own portfolios. You you go through life, you invest in dozens or hundreds of stocks, but it's only a handful, a single digit handful that actually really create uh, wealth augmenting kind of returns. And, and we saw it in a pronounced way last year, but there was a lot of other things in 2023 that 
were very notable. Like, for example, uh, the U.S. Economies Inflation Reduction Act did actually stimulate the economy um, and investment in energy transition boosted sectors like infrastructure and construction projects and the electric car industry. And we didn't really cover that in a podcast because we really don't, we kind of sidestep macroeconomics uh, for a couple of reasons. Notably, we're no experts, but it was a big thing. There were other events during the year we spoke about, like the guilty verdict of Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, who our listeners will recall was the founder of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, there was the grand retirement of master investor Charlie Munger. Um, <laughs> the Elon grand Musk. retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and rest his soul. One way of saying it, yeah. Yeah, Elon Musk was up to his usual tricks. I mean, uh, what was the bigger story in 2023 from Elon Musk? The fact that SpaceX was such a huge success and there was rumors of an IPO, or is it Twitter or X's decline in value and advertiser interest. I mean, there was so yeah. many interesting stories for us. And I, I think 2024 will bring us um, a whole barrel load more for us to get through. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Elon Musk. Like if he just stayed out of the limelight, uh, Tesla stock doubled in the year and SpaceX uh, did have two fundraising rounds where it became the most valuable yeah. private company in the world. Do you know, if he just kind of... amazing. If he just stayed out of the limelight, he'd be doing very well, but it seems he's... And he's up to his tricks again. I mean, the, the news, it comes so fast. I remember, honestly, three years ago, we were like, we just can't talk about Elon every week. Yeah. Because every week we got a fresh story handed to us. And there's one this week, I'm not going to dive into it. But then at the other end of the scale, we look at Tesla's great success and SpaceX's success uh, in 2023. And, and it feels like years ago, but it was only 2023 when Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank both mm. went bankrupt and went under. I think it was around March time and we had a good chat about that. And that was an unbelievable event because having an account with Silicon Valley Bank was as certain as having a CTO in, in the tech industry. Like it just was something you did. We did it. My Wall Street did it. Every bank, every, sorry, every giant business had a deposit uh, with SVB and, and to a lesser extent signature. So there were huge events, but the years just keep trundling by and the market figures its own way forward. It's true. It's true. It, it seemed to be a success in spite of itself. And I was kind of looking back, trying to figure out the major themes and a lot comes down to expectations. So yeah. Basically, everyone predicted a recession to come in 2023, and it didn't happen. Inflation cooled, but the employment numbers stayed, uh, unemployment numbers stayed low, and they ended hiking interest rates with a view in 2024 to cutting them again, which is a major factor. And I know we don't like to talk about macro too much because we might show how little we know about it, but <laughs> in, in, in general terms, that, that's a massive kind of impact that... Not that it doesn't go unnoticed, but it's is is almost what I'd say we'll say confirmed in, in investors' eyes at the minute. You know, it's kind of at the sell the news stage of the cycle, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So but Ben Carlson did a really interesting statistical analysis and we can kind of highlight any number of issues of why it was such a good year, but when it comes down to it, and this is obviously oversimplifying it, 2023 was a good year because 2022 was a bad year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 2022 was the seventh worst year on record for the S&P 500 in the last 100 years, and it was the worst ever for a 60-40 portfolio, which is would be a classic uh, advisor 
position, we'll say. You go 60% stock, 40% bonds and because the bonds crashed so heavily. It was actually the worst year ever for for a lot of Americans and for a lot of investors who would just kind of invest in this traditional manner. So it's not surprising to see 2023 rebound like that. Um, and, and Ben Carson did the study. He said basically for the most part, a good year comes after a bad year. There's, of course, mm-hmm. exceptions. Is mm-hmm. the 1973 bear market and the Great Depression, which lasted multiple years. But if you go through a really bad year on the market, there's a high likelihood that the following year is going to be a good one. So in 2002, mm-hmm. after the dot-com crash, the S&P was up 28%. After the great financial crisis, it popped 26%. And on and on it goes. And 2023 is another one of those. And then I was kind of looking ahead to 2024 to see, is it, is, is it just is, does it follow the same pattern? And it doesn't really, which isn't surprising. So... Good years can come in clumps, which is mm, good to hear. Mm. So yeah. I wouldn't get overly excited about, all right, well, it was good last year. It's going to be bad this year. We've seen a number, even in recent memory, basically all the 2010s. If you take out, if you take out 2011, 2015, and 2018, the SP returned double digits every year for the decade. Uh, mm. There were five years from 1995 to 1991 in which the index returned at least 20% every year. Now, in fairness, that was a lead up to a bubble. So you can kind of put an asterisk on it. But I guess what I'm saying is it, it just further proves the need to be in the market and not try to time it and not oh, yeah. stay out and oh, yeah. not flip-flop because if you're missing those good years, it's going to cost you so much more than if you were right once. Like if you, right. Stayed, if you stayed out of the market because you thought it was getting frothy in 1996 – you would have been right about the dot com crash, but you would have missed four amazing years where your where your portfolio would have doubled or more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, it, it's it's a really interesting statistical analysis. It's uh, it's on Ben Carson's blog called "The Wealth of Common Sense." It's worth uh, it's worth reading. All this stuff is worth reading. But it is, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It and just yeah, I, I mean, indices are so reductive. Like it's we 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 decide is a year good or bad because this index, whether it's the Nasdaq or the S and P five hundred, or your local index, uh, has performed, and you're like, well, I've haven't done as well because we all benchmark. That's how we go through life. We go, I could have assigned my dollars or my euros to this index and simply done better than I would have had I just, you know, left left the index to it. But the reality of the situation is very few people um, feel what the index says. What I mean by that is you go to the average voter in America, if there is such a thing and say, was 2023 a good year or a bad year? And you don't mention the stock market, you're going to have quite a loaded answer on how in fact their lives meant the cost of living, what they saw, their investments and their everything else, the cost of education and healthcare and jobs and employment, all the rest. So we look at the S&P 500 and we go, well, last year was a good year. And the reality is, unless you held the Magnificent Seven, it probably was at best a banal year, but more likely not a great year. And to paraphrase, or maybe directly quote my friend Bill Mann, who, as you well know, Mike joined us on stage uh, in November for the Horizon Live event. Uh, He said, if you strip out the Magnificent Seven, we have endured the most grueling 
bear market of small caps in history. Am I right in saying it was? He said that, right, Mike? Something, something along those lines. Yeah. Now I yeah. think they they resurged since November. They've had a very strong finish to the year, but at the time, yeah, yeah. they did. They did. No, in fairness, they did. Uh, thankfully, because small caps need some love, and they're going to get it, in my opinion. I think, despite what we've seen in the last 12 weeks, a, a surge in small caps, I think there's plenty more to go because, uh, as they say, money cycles in and out of uh, of big caps into smaller caps. And I think we're going to see something on that front in the, in the year ahead. Yeah, yeah. And that on that note now, I think we, it's time to talk about trends we see for, yeah. for 2024 and beyond. So maybe I'm talking against myself a small bit when we're, when we're talking about we can have a number of good years in a row. But in your opinion now, what, what's your kind of what's kind of your view of twenty twenty four from a from a helicopter perspective? Was it? Uh, you touched on it there, Mike, which is uh, always invest, just keep investing. Now that's not an answer. What's my view? How will the market go this year? I know what everyone else is saying. I know what I, I get all the different economists' opinions, um, and it, it, the, I would say the consensus opinion is is you is kind of flat the year will be flat i feel uh, and i've touched on it, that there is going to be a lot of money going into value small caps which have been left for dead in the last two years where they continue to improve and grow their business yet the money was pulled out of them i could list off top of my head uh, half dozen stocks that are down 80 percent that in the last two years that have actually improved their operation in the last two years and that can continue especially when they're profitable because these businesses are in growth mode and that will ultimately be reflected in a very simple number which is their pe ratio for example so uh, i'm i'm feeling good about the year ahead and i think there's a lot of very promising and interesting trends that are uh, occurring when we go down out of the helicopter and get a little more specific, I think there's a lot of things there that we can have a chat about. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much, we can go so many directions with this. And I think mm. this could be a very scattered pod if we did, like as in the first CRISPR treatment has been approved by the FDA. You know, what yeah. does that what does that say for that whole industry, for the whole healthcare industry? You know? And yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, not it's proven. It's, Sorry, go on. no. No, it's, I mean, CRISPR as a technology is just mind blowing. When you actually extend what we're looking at today to where this technology can bring us, it's truly unbelievable. So maybe what I'll do is how about I kind of give you a pitch for what I believe will be the top trend in 2024 at a microeconomic level, not the macroeconomic. Okay, yeah, yeah. Kind of, so, you know, we have an array of promising technologies that you could say they all they were all birthed in 2023 or a lot of them came into our consciousness in 2023 but um these technologies like they're no longer in a lab they're no longer just the subject of a ted talk but they're out there they're early stage and proven like crispr as you say like for example we've beaten the ai horse to death at this stage we've spoken about it and despite that Everybody can recognize AI is in its earliest days. And when we talk about AI, it feels to me like we're talking about uh, the internet in 1996. It's clear that there's a value there. It's clear it's powerful, but it's also clear it needs to get to a place where we all know how it operates and we all know how we benefit from it. So I'm not going to choose AI as a trend for 2024 because I, no, I think you'd get it's a little 
boot it yeah. off the pod if you did that. No. <laughs> he said in twenty twenty one. He said in twenty twenty one you get some credit now. Yeah, this is true. I mean there's other things happening in front of our eyes like um there's a pile of Twitter killers out there, or ex-killers, uh, Twitter poachers, you might say, like Blue Sky or Threads. So, I mean, that's another, I suppose, trend happening in front of our eyes, but I don't think it's interesting enough. Uh, there's the continued uh, rampage, if you like, of the weight loss drugs, which we've yeah. also discussed. And you can indirectly or very directly invest in all of those drugs with Eli Lilly, uh, Novartis, Pfizer, uh, Viking Therapeutics. Like there, there are a lot of businesses now rushing towards uh, a panacea for for weight gain. But again, I'm not going to choose that as 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 a trend for 2024. I'm going to get to a place. Um, other things that I just thought about when you send me the Slack last night saying, "Hey, look, think about things we can talk about uh, around where 2024 is going." I also was thinking about uh, exascale computers, which you spoke about on a podcast about six months ago. But these these are, are computers that are capable of crunching a quintillion operations per second. And and they basically warp the limits of what scientists can st- uh, can simulate. And is this the quantum of, computing? It, 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 yes, it is. But it's called exascale computing, which is like quantum squared. Uh, <laughs> hyper powered, and and there's a there's a couple of players out there like Oak Ridge National Lab. There's, uh, I think it's Julich Supercomputers, China Supercomputing Center, and they're all private operations. But one of the things that's going to happen in this year is supercomputing is just going to another next level, and how that affects us isn't very clear. But so I'm torn between two trends for 2024. And you've already unveiled one of them. One is, of course, CRISPR, which allows scientists to precisely edit DNA to treat genetic diseases and develop new therapies and create crops and 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 uh, that are, are are resistant to to pests and even de extinct species, which is totally mind blowing with the North American yeah. pigeon, I think, being the first of its kind. So there's that family, if you like, of of innovations and then on the other hand uh, apple vision pro so i'm gonna call i'm gonna call one of those two which think i'm gonna go with mike uh i think you've talked about crispr enough so i'd say you're going the other way are you yeah bingo yeah for fun i'm gonna i'm gonna call the apple vision pro as something that happens in front of all of our eyes no pun intended in 2024 because anyone who's ever bet against apple certainly in the last 10 or 15 years has always been wrong and and we we sat here and i sat here and with you i kind of lampooned division pro um when it was unveiled um but when you look and just consider what we what this product is bringing to the masses it's the highest profile micro oled technology that's ever been brought to market it's been in development for over a decade. So it's probably going to be pretty cool, um, despite the battery pack that's going to have to fall down in a cable into the back <laughs> pocket or sit on the table. It's going to you know? burn the hair off your chest as you're lying down on the couch. <laughs> but, but you know, it, for a start, it's going to be... Sorry, Mike. Isn't it funny how these VR and AR headsets have been around for at least five years? And oh, uh, what's, what's Meta's... Um, what's the Meta... The company? Oculus. The Oculus, yeah, that's Oculus. been there, yeah. and you've used it and stuff. Yeah. But, but when Apple turns its attention to it, it's like, oh, now it's 
yeah now, now it's, it's the now it's the ipo now it's the public outing before this this is just kind of fringe no you're on the money i mean like the the, the, the history is littered with these face-worn computers google glass and microsoft hololens and um meta's well, did they rename it the Quest or is that the Oculus? I always get Oculus confused. Quest is the original one. Yeah, so maybe. And I was a user of the Oculus, as you said, for years. I'd say I have one eight years. I bought my son an Oculus and it's probably still in the box. He took it out. We all had a laugh in the kitchen. His friends came over. They played a zombie shooting game and then it was gone. It was just not uh, wired into things that they do on a regular basis, nor myself. I, I thought the Netflix app on, on the Oculus was pretty cool because you could watch a cinema-sized screen or it's Netflix on what felt like cinema-sized screen. But, but later this year, Apple is going to start shipping this Vision Pro, which is its first mixed reality headset. Now, in fairness, its commercial success is, you know, remains to be proven. Um, yeah. But it is a breakthrough device and, and it has a display that's radically better than anything else that has been seen. And the ones I've looked at, the, the Oculus, are impressive. So to see something that's radically better. But if I can just recap and remind our listeners what is the Vision Pro, it's, it's a headset which they call a spatial computer. And they unveiled it in June um, at the annual developers event. And they pitched it as a better way to watch films and experience photos and connect with others. And even to read and create and basically everything you use your phone for. Um, But unlike virtual reality, which is what the Oculus is, mixed reality overlays digital content onto your real world surroundings and cameras and sensors embed in the headset, you know, what's going on around you in the room and they create, uh, recreate it on a pair of screens, uh, one for each eye. So like there's a camera looking at the room and it's basically being it into your eyeballs, but then the headset overlays whatever digital content you've selected. So whether it's a video where you're climbing a mountain or, 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 or whatever it is, it's right there in front of you. It's like, it's just hanging in, in thin air. Now this vision pros twin OLED, um, provides, as I said, really crisp resolution. They're really going hard on that saying that this is like, like 8k hyper reality projections. And it means that when you bring this mixed reality in, um, you've got a super immersive experience and, and it just feels like, uh, you're all these apps that we all interact with. If you're an Apple user, your photo apps or, or WhatsApp or whatever is just sitting there in thin air. And one of the things that the other headsets have lacked is the apps we all use. So whether you use Messenger or or WhatsApp or or you know the apps you use, they just were absent in 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 Oculus and Friends. So the big question that remains is what will people use it for? And Apple, you know, has a suite of apps already ready for this uh, for this device. It's probably going to be most likely to use as a high end video viewer to make planes and trains a little more interesting. But before I I shut up and hand it over to you, what I'll say is that. It's it's going to be have to be pretty cool to warrant dropping three and a half grand. I mean that's serious cash. I haven't bought a TV for a few years, but when I did, that would get you top end screen and probably a sound system. So I'm not saying it's a TV substitute, but it is kind of like if you're sitting there because you really totally if you get it. But if I lived in a small apartment and I had a budget of three and a half grand for a state of the art TV or the Vision Pro, I think there's a fairly high likelihood the Vision Pro would deliver higher utility and and ultimately it's it is a substitute. 
uh, for television, just like your 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 handset is a substitute for your smart your uh, for your laptop in many ways. But no other company in history has been as successful at developing and marketing consumer technology over the years than Apple. So they're not going on a hunch. This has been tested with users. So I think we're going to see in 2024 the birth of the next human body peripheral device that goes into the mass market. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, it's hard to disagree with you. I think if Apple decide they want to sell everyone in the world something, they're, they're pretty good at it. So I like yeah. that trend. And yeah. well, they're, they're rolling it out in America soon enough, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's Q1, isn't it? Yeah, so, they're, yeah, they're yeah. so we'll we'll know pretty soon. It's a bit like the first time I saw the headphones, or sorry, the AirPod Pros, or the AirPods rather, uh, our CTO Alejandro, who's an Apple fanboy, was wearing them and I was like, what is going on? And it didn't take long to accept it. For for a while, the early adopters were seen as a little bit odd, but not for very long, unlike other yeah. technologies. And I think when we see people sitting on a plane, we're going to see loads of people sitting on a plane and a train in the next 12 months wearing the Vision Pro. Interesting, interesting. They might be in first class. We might be walking past them as we go to yeah. our cheap seats. Yeah. Um, all right, before I get into my trends, I just want to give a quick reminder <laughs> for our friends at Vodafone Business. So check out their free one-to-one digital support and advice service today to discuss a range of topics from social media tips, cybersecurity, and building a website for your business. So just search Vodafone VHub or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Or just go in and talk to them. That's all we're <laughs> asking you. I've said it before. Go into Vodafone and go, Emmett sent me. Yeah. Uh, and they'll look after you. They will. I'm sure there's a bunch of cashiers who are loving all these people <laughs> going into Vodafone and South Dublin. <laughs> saying some fell on a podcast <laughs> sentiment. Our listenership goes a bit further than that. I hope we have people walking <laughs> to Vodafone in the North Pole and the South Pole. Uh, okay, so I I didn't really do, I didn't really do, I kind of cheated with this um, yeah. for a trend per se, because it's not really a trend. Well, it can be, but it's more a personal inclination. Um, mm. So basically, I'm, just, I'm avoiding tech for 2024. My own personal portfolio, my research, I think... I won't be selling anything, but I'm not going to be topping up any of my tech investments. I think over the last, what, three and a half, four years as an investor, it's been too easy to fall into having a very tech-heavy portfolio. They've been completely dominated the the total stock market. We've talked about the concentration at the top, and there's been a few years where it's done better than 2023. And I know I'm talking back on myself a small bit when – you know, the stats say that you can have a number of good years in a row, but it just, even to diversify myself properly and because a lot of the, because tech has seen so much growth as well, you know, they become a larger and larger part of your portfolio. So I just want to expand my own circle of competence, we'll say, to borrow the Warren Buffett term and reach out and research and find great companies in other industries. Because even if you look through like, some of the performances from last year. Facebook was up nearly two hundred percent. Nvidia was nearly two hundred fifty. Tesla doubled. CrowdStrike more than doubled. Amazon nearly doubled. Google and Microsoft flew off the handle as well. So, mm. I just it seems a little too hot for me. Mm. Um, and I I have a feeling investors might start taking cash off the table. Sentiment will shift and. Then when it comes to rate cuts, I mentioned before, I think we're at the sell the news stage of the cycle too. And tech companies have more than anyone have really benefited from the rate cycle. Uh, but 
even like if you're looking at sentiment out there already, Google is cutting jobs, Amazon is cutting jobs, Duolingo, Duolingo more than tripled its market cap in 2023, and it's kicking yeah. off January 2024 cutting yeah. jobs. Which oh, interesting! I hadn't read that. Yeah, which must be absolutely awful if you're working there. Could you imagine having a year like that and then yeah. they're turning to job cuts? So I think there is like Spotify. We spoke about Spotify before Christmas, yeah, where they had exactly. a and yeah, laid them off for Christmas. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just beneficial for me personally, and I say there'll be a lot of people in my boat around a similar age that started investing when you couldn't avoid these start cut types of companies mm-hmm. to just look into other sectors, so less glamorous, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been kind of looking at my question I asked myself was what businesses or industries will AI not be able to disrupt essentially? Um, so it brought me to a number of interesting businesses and kind of looking at industrials and looking at utilities and all that. So the first company I looked at was Copart. If you're lucky enough to yeah. own this business in the last 10 years, you've been oh, doing amazing. very well. I think you'd be sitting on a 10 bagger already. It's mm. It's been an unbelievable performer on the stock market, but it's a very simple business. It's, it's the biggest salvage market in the world for old cars, total cars. It's the first stock I picked from my Wall Street. Can there you, you go. Yeah, and 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 it's still been performing even in the last five years. I think it's tripled or even up three hundred, four hundred percent. And mm. it, it it just does wow. a simple job. It purchases damaged cars from insurers or other motivated buyers, banks, anyone who kind of will ha- will find a total car on their books. Essentially, sells it to Copart. Copart stores it in their massive uh, scrapyards portfolio essentially yeah. and sells it off to whoever wants to buy it salvagers and all the rest and they take about roughly 20 percent of each each transaction um so it's not doing anything special you know you're not going to be able to to replace a scrapyard with ai mm. anytime soon and i know it's yeah. on an online auction but apart from that it's a very real world physical business and what makes it really interesting is that it's essentially in a duopoly with uh, IAA is its main competitor. Yeah. It controls about 80% of the salvage auction market. And mm-hmm. because these two companies have achieved such a scale, there's huge barriers to entry. No no new entrant can come in and be cheaper. Uh, they can't really get licenses for new scrapyards in cities because cities will only want one. They don't want to, they don't want to do, give out more licenses. So there's so much there to protect it. And then what makes it great is that while it's in a duopoly, it's not like MasterCard and Visa where it's kind of one or the other, more or less. Copart has huge advantages over IAA in the two-horse race, we'll say. Yeah. So it owns basically all of its own land. I think IAA owns about 10% of its land, leases the other 90%. Uh, It's the inverse for Copart. It's about 90% to 10%. And this is huge for a number of reasons. One where it really showed up was... uh, do you remember, I think it was Hurricane Harvey in 2017. It mm-hmm. hit Texas and Louisiana and was fairly devastating. But what happened was insurance companies had hundreds of thousands of total cars wrecked, ready for salvage. And Copart was able to take them in, even at a loss, while IAA didn't have the capacity. And it actually wow. stole a bunch of customers from it. So. There's a lot to like there. Um, it's a really, it's it's a business that isn't going to get disrupted by any new entrants or any high technology anytime soon. So that's kind of where my mind has gone 
in to kick off this year, the end of last year. I think mm. I think it'd be an interesting mm. exercise for a lot of younger investors out there who will have a very tech heavy portfolio to kind of take a step back and look at it from a holistic view and be like, all right, well, what am I missing? And yeah. and try to find these businesses that are there that have strong moats that won't be disrupted by technology that are very necessary in the real world and that necessity isn't going away anytime soon so copart was the first one of a few others we can go through but uh i I, i'll go back to you now and if you have a another stock pitch i don't but i can make one up but that was Um, actually brilliant uh i'm very impressed with that because um we uh for a start i'm as i said i'm familiar with the business the copart even owned scrapyards in ireland but before we move off the subject one of the things I was thinking about in recent times about Copart is the transition to electric vehicles where there are far, far fewer, far, far fewer bits and bobs you need to keep your car going. I mean, if you had a 1985 Datsun and you needed to get a carburetor, you go to a Copart place and they'll pull enough, you know, they, they have a state of the art, they have like air traffic control inventory management system in Copart, one of the most enviable software uh, systems in, in the industry, probably the most enviable. So if you need a washer off a 1972 Mini, they'll know where you can get it. But putting that aside, you go in and get your Datsun carburetor, that's great. But what what exists in the electric market? And I know Electric is being, it's its cooling a little bit. I know, like, for example, Hertz are retiring their electric fleet, which is pretty incredible. But ultimately, five years from now, I wonder what Copart's business is going to look like in a, in a world where we don't need to find a carburetor for our slightly older car. Have, have, we, have you a view on that or do they have a view on that? Yeah, so it's it, they say it takes about 20 years for, you know, a cycle of cars to be totaled and taken off the road, more or less. So it's not mm. immediate. Uh, it'll probably be in the next 10 years. And mm. it raises some interesting questions because we'll say of the of the value of an electric car, the battery is, we'll say, 80% of the salvage value. So mm. you're adding a high value item in terms of the electric vehicle battery, but is there going to be new ways of dealing with that environmentally in terms of storing it, all the rest? Are there going to be um, reacquisition programs from from electric vehicle companies that specifically only mm-hmm. want batteries? You know, so it does. It definitely raises a lot of questions. But we can just go back to the main one: is that Copart owns two billion dollars worth of scrapyards across the world? Yeah. Incredible, and, and they're just going to need to store them. It doesn't matter how it gets it gets put back. Um, yeah, it, it'll it'll raise some questions, but it also is a big opportunity too because you're adding value to salvage in a big way in terms of in it's terms huge. of that battery. Incredible, incredible investment, and it just it that's that's very interesting. A twenty year cycle, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. So there's cars rolling off ramps today all around the world in, in car, car manufacturers that are going to need parts for the next 20 years. And that kind of uh, solves the medium term and certainly probably the long-term problem. Okay, I'll, I'll hit you with one, Mike. Um, I'm going to go with a stock that I pitched for Horizon and I have removed from my watch list simply because it doesn't hit all the notes I look for in a Horizon investment, but is a is a very very high quality uh, ETF, and it's called the first 
trust NASDAQ clean energy smart grid infrastructure <laughs> index <laughs> fund adjective adjective okay so, so yeah, it's the longest name ever um and basically uh the the i uh, got it i really i'm again yeah it is actually called the first trust nasdaq clean energy smart grid infrastructure uh index fund it was some mouthful i remember at the time but anyway what it does is it tracks stocks in the grid and the electric infrastructure sector, in particular, smart grid technologies and energy management. Um, and what it has is a criteria like every ETF for inclusion. And it, businesses must be above $100 million in market cap, which is quite low. That's, that's, a, very, that's a nano cap. If you're, if you're below $100 million in value, you're, you're a nano cap. Um, and it must have 20% free float and $500,000 average trading volume. So it, it basically is, is a very, it's a wide net on a very important emerging industry. And, and when I pitched it for Horizon, what I said, I made a couple of reasons. I, I always put down a few reasons why I'm particularly excited about a stock. And in its case, Bill Gates predicted uh, a surge in climate investing. Um, and at, in the, the conference that I was listening to and that I, I cited at that time, he said there's going to be a lot of companies out there that mirrors Tesla's returns. And this grid, ETF grid for short, um, focuses on smart grid infrastructure, which is crucial for integrating renewable energy and ensuring efficient power delivery. Um, so it basically, it, it aligns with all the trends we're seeing in energy, the way that most sane people are thinking about how we need to go in the world, and it, you know it is it is quite an early stage uh, ETF, and it will of course be volatile, um, and ETFs are not easily bought by uh, us non-US people. But if you're in the US, that's fine. But I think it's a nice one to put there, and I think it also dovetails quite nicely into the point you made, which is if we are going to stand back from the usual rush towards tech and AI and the Magnificent Seven, I think this is a nice alternative that could sit at the bedrock of your portfolio, very future relevant, has the highest quality companies in there, and is ultimately going to be um, a cyclical bull, you know, or, or a secular bull. It's going to kind of go back a bit, up a bit, back a bit, up a bit. Yeah. What's, what's nice about that type of investment is that it's easy to identify the trend, but it's hard to pick a company. Especially yeah, when they're is. all so early on in in That's development. Right. So picking an ETF there, I always admired the uh, the Arc genomic ETF because it's like, mm. oh yes, well CRISPR is going to be a big thing, but I can't tell yeah. the difference between Intellia and yeah. Bluebird and CRISPR yeah. Therapeutics, and I need yeah. a I need a degree to do so. So why not yeah. just park it in an ETF? So yeah, I, I really like that as a as mm. a potential investment. Very good. Uh, okay, mm. Emmett, good good first recording of the year. Get it under the belt. Hey, hold on. Are you not going to give us a second one? Just give us a name, just for fun. Okay, well, no. <laughs> how about this? I'll do, I'll do, I'll give you a name that's coming next week, and it's going to be along the same oh. same line. So, industrials, utility. Oh, you should do it like Wordle. You should tease us. Don't just say the name. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Uh, it has so, an A, so, it has a W. Okay, go on. <laughs> so make sure you come back next week if you're enjoying this kind of non-tech focus. Uh, the company is Core and Main, and I'll give you a proper oh, yeah. pitch. I'll give you a proper pitch for it next week. It's a banger, Mike. Well done. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Before we finish up, I just want to give you a thank you to our friends at Vodafone Business. If you're a business owner and need a leg up, just talk to them. Go into your local 19 year old behind the counter and ask for some Vodafone Business advice. Uh, but when it comes to your digital transformation, get yourself over to Vodafone V Hub to book your appointment today. You can find the show in our link. Find the link in our show notes. Uh, that's it for today, Emmett. Thank you for joining me, and thanks everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. Leave us a review, share us with your friends, and we will talk to you next week.